welcome to the Unstoppable Freedom Podcast. I'm Jimmy Page. Our guest today is Susie Larson, and she is truly a wonderful friend and one of the most prophetic and compelling voices for freedom in Christ and the restoration of souls. We call that true freedom. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Susie before we get started. She's a talk radio host, a national speaker, a best-selling author of well over 20 books and devotionals. In both 2016 and 2017, she was nominated and voted into the top 10 groups for the National John Maxwell Leadership Award. That's a big deal. But bigger than that, she's been married to her dear husband, Kevin, since 1985. And together they have three sons, three daughters-in-law, two beautiful grandchildren, and one adorable pit bull named Memphis. <laughs> We're going to have to hear about that. I don't know. Her passion is to see women awakened everywhere to the value of their soul, the depth of God's love, and the height of their calling in Christ Jesus. Her latest book, Fully Alive, I think it's your latest book. I know you've got a number of other projects coming. Uh, Learning to Flourish, Mind, Body, and Spirit in, is in some ways a culmination of so much of her life's work. To be honest, Susie is just an incredible woman of God and a wonderful friend. You're going to be blessed by her today. Susie, welcome to the show, my friend. Jimmy, so honored to get to spend this time with you. And I've had, you know, this is a turnaround because you're the one who comes on my show most often. And we <laughs> love it every time you do. I feel like I get a shot of adrenaline when I get to talk with you. So, so fun to be on this side of the microphone. A turnabout is fair play, right? And yeah. <laughs> uh, I remember I remember when our paths first crossed, uh, it was about the book, uh, One Word That Will Change Your Life. And we've had this opportunity, this beautiful opportunity uh, for me to be a guest on your show. And by the way, it's been an incredible honor, an incredible mm -hmm. encouragement to be to be on your show. Uh, your audience is massive, number one, but um, they're also very engaged. And I think that speaks to the way you, you, um, you have a compassionate heart. You bring people into the conversation. And those, those times on your show with the one word has just been a blessing to me for sure. Well, our listeners have loved it, and we look so forward to it, Jimmy, because really you you do come with a prophetic gift as well. And so for our listeners to text and email in, this is what I'm sensing, and then you speak into it, and it brings life. It is such a powerful thing. I mean, really, the word spoken that's breathed of the Holy Spirit has the power for life, has the power to move mountains and tear down strongholds. I believe that so strongly, and it's just so wonderful when we can come together like that and encourage and mobilize the body of Christ, so. Yes, and I think that's the name of the game, right? And I think people are under-encouraged today, for sure. Yes. But I have to tell you, on a personal note, there almost a week doesn't go by that my wife, Evelise, by the way, she says hello, uh, that she isn't reading me something from a devotional or book that I'm like, wow, that's really insightful. That's amazing, you know? And, and I'm like, well, who, who is that? Like, what is that? And she always says, oh, that's, this is Susie Larson. I'm like, well, of course it is. <laughs> so you have really blessed our family. You've blessed our marriage, and uh, we're grateful <laughs> for you. So thank you for that. Thanks for being That's on. Uh, help us, uh, give us a little backstory of your thank faith you. journey. Tell us, awesome. tell us how you came to faith in Christ. Well, I was raised in a large family in a denomination where I knew God was real. I didn't know Jesus was accessible, but even as a child, I felt and sensed God's presence. Um, I think you know this part of my story that's a little tougher, uh, but um, I was fifth of seven kids and uh, loved my 
older brothers, but there was a season where they were getting involved in things they ought not and were hanging around with some pretty creepy friends. And I was about nine or 10 years old, came home from school and uh, my mom wasn't home yet. And I didn't, wasn't in the mood to be chased with a BB gun with my brothers and their friends, you know? So I thought I would go down and get my favorite sweatshirt out of the dryer and go up in my room and read a book until my mom got home. And I was digging in the dryer for my sweatshirt. And before I knew what happened, the door shut behind me and I turned around and it was several of my brother's friends, no brother at that point. And uh, I was pinned to the ground and uh, suffered a, a sexual assault. And uh, I was so confused and so about what happened and whose fault that was that I was terrified to tell my parents. My dad was the mayor of our city for 27 years. So there, we were a public family. Um, our house was sort of like Grand Central Station. And I, I really just didn't know. I, I was just terrified. So that opened up this kind of a canyon of, of insecurity and fear. And um, within that year, about a year later, I was walking home from school and I saw those bikes out in front and I said out loud, which just shows you how confused my little mind was, but I'm like, I don't care if God made me this way, those boys will never touch me again. And so I'm walking around the baseball diamond, our house was across the street from our high school, and a different group of boys were hanging out in the dugout, smoking something. And all I heard was, get her. And they ran out of the dugout, ran me down, and beat me to a pulp. And they laughed wildly as they did. They punched me in the face, pulled fistfuls of hair, kicked me. And I remember just as a little girl, just screaming and crying and seeing this crazed look in their eyes. And um, uh, when they were done, they walked away laughing that they had just beaten up a girl, little girl. And I got up, my face was scratched, my lip was fat, my hair was snarled. And um, I've come a long way, Jimmy, but I will just tell you that has been, fear has been something that has, plagued me on different levels. I think if the trauma wouldn't have happened to me, yeah, I am a go-getter, but I, I, don't, I really do operate out of such a place of deep, deep dependence because some of the things that I've walked through. But mm. so that really, I mean, opened up this canyon of insecurity for me. Once I got into middle school, I was a gymnast, I was a decent athlete and you know could sing in the choir. And I just did all the stuff, one, to stay busy till my mom got home, but two, to kind of earn my way out of the hole that I felt like I was crawling out of. And when I was about eighth grade, I, I was coming home, or I was about to go out for a, a little slumber party. And I was super close to my mom. She was amazing as a mom of seven kids, but I felt terrible. They all knew I was beat up and they comforted me. And I sort of put that comfort into that deeper pain of the sexual trauma. But I felt like I was keeping this secret from her and it was so painful, but I didn't even know how to articulate what happened. And I was leaving and she said, teasingly, don't sneak out to meet boys. And I'm like, I wanted to just stop and say, if you could only know how that is the last thing that I want to do. But I almost told her and I just couldn't do it. And I just said, you know, I won't. And I went to the slumber party and, and we, you know, did what girls do at slumber parties. We, this dates me, but we had the beach boys playing and we ate Doritos and we did all the girls. <laughs> but then the girls did the core group snuck out to meet boys. And there's just no way I was going to do that. And I joked that I stayed back with the two girls who smoked, but I, I didn't smoke. But anyway, they didn't want anything to do with me either. And I'm sitting in my little sleeping bag and they had gone to the local Catholic school. That was where they went to school. And they were mocking what the nun had said about the end times. They were like, oh, as if, and they were quoting out of the book of Revelation. And I had never heard anything like that before. So I'm mm -hmm. leaning in and I'm listening. And so I went out and sat on the picnic table and I prayed, Lord, or I said, God, I know you're real. But if there's more to you than what I know, 
would you reveal yourself to me? I'm going to start reading the Bible. I literally said this, Jimmy. I think it's kind of boring, but if you can snatch it up, <laughs> we got a deal. I cannot even, I, you know, I'm like, I'm thinking he's rubbing his temples going in on a technicality. <laughs> Not Jaker. I mean, you know. Just under the wire. Yeah, just right. I just, woof, you know, but I literally did start to read my Bible. I found a Bible. I didn't have a Bible. I found one on our shelf and I started to read it under my bed sheet at night because the denomination I was from, they didn't want you reading the Bible on your own. And uh, I fell in love with Jesus. I fell in love with Jesus. Later, so I was ninth or 10th grade, I heard about a Bible study, but I don't know if that, that they call it that, but a gathering where someone was teaching the Bible. And this was in the days of Izod and crew cuts and all that clean cut, you know, 80 stuff. And he looked like Jesus. He had a long beard and flip flops. And it, he was so out of context then, he'd fit in perfect now. But I, I don't know how I found out about that he was teaching the Bible and I would sit on the floor at his feet and I'm surrounded by all these goth kids who are going out for smoking breaks. They'd ask me, I have my little letter jacket, you know, they're like, do you want to go out for smoke? I'm like, I'm good. And I, I had no idea. I found out years later he had a ministry to at-risk youth kids and he's like, I always wondered what you were doing there. You know, but I'm like, I heard you were teaching the Bible and I literally was lying to my parents going, I'm going to the library. And I would go to this study and I come home glowing. And my, my mom's like, how's the library? I'm like, this whole family needs the library. <laughs> Everybody. And you know, and one We're by one, come on. And one by one, most of my family now are all believers. There's, we have like 22 nephews and nieces. Most of them are following Christ. There's a handful that aren't, but I mean, the Lord has done an amazing work in my big giant family. But long story short, Jimmy, that's, that's how I came. And I, I marvel that God has been so faithful to me. Uh, a couple other little points just that kind of shape my, my thinking and my passion is uh, when I was on bed rest for our third pregnancy, I was on bed rest for six months. Um, I was getting kind of depressed because I, I mean, really as someone with that kind of trauma, I was, I could perform. I was an athlete. I, you know, I would, when I became a Christian and was released to leave my particular denomination and chase after Jesus, I was on five committees. I mean, that's who I was. So uh, to go on bed rest for six months, it was like all of my insecurity and everything surfaced because I couldn't earn my way anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I, the docs let me get up for a day and I was six months along now, I had three months left to go and I met my old college roommates. It was a fall day, we had lunch. I was back on bed rest that night because I was contracting and two weeks from that outing, my face started to go numb. I had a buzzing, pulsating feeling from the, at the base of my skull that kind of came around and was almost like a pulsating. It was, it was uh, a nightmare. But what turned out to be a year later, I found out that my one day up, the deer tick got me and I contracted Lyme disease. And once again, I hear in my ear, I can get to you anytime, anywhere. God will never stop me. Wow. So uh, that, you know, and to this day, as you know, I, ha I have some chronic health challenges, but I'm a fighter and uh, God's been good. And, uh, but it shapes me so much on helping others heal, helping others contend with um, the enemy's attempts to take them out. Because I always say his threat against you is very connected to your threat to him. And if you can understand, if, and I think if you just look at your childhood, the first time you didn't feel like you were enough, the first time you felt unsafe, you can get a sense of what your calling is because of how the enemy was so threatened by you that he would come against you at such a young age. Mm. It's a compelling story because, and I think this is the nature of God, right? Is that he will take what the enemy intends for evil and he will turn it for good, right? If we let him, right? If we, if we, yeah. 
if we seek him. Yeah. It's not automatic, but yeah. we've got to seek it, that. I remember I had a, an encounter as a teenage, a young teenage boy. You know, I was, I was raised in a religious home and, and I loved that, uh, many aspects of that because I got to know God uh, um, in a rich way through Bible stories. And I believe, I believe from very early in my life that there was God. You know, I don't think I had a relationship with God most of my life, you know, growing up as a teenager, but I do remember uh, being very religious. I had a very strong sense of justice. I had a very strong sense of right and wrong. And uh, I had an encounter at the church. Um, my mom, it's funny, you know, my mom had encouraged me, hey, go to the church, hang out with the, hang out with the leaders, the pastors, or in this case, the priests. And uh, I was like, ah, mom, you know, sure, sure, sure. That doesn't sound fun at all. And uh, she finally convinced me to do that. And I had one, a similar encounter where uh, this particular person tried to take advantage of me at the church. And mm -hmm. this was before any of this had been exposed, right? This is long before any of that. And I, I remember deep in my gut, like, get out of this situation, you know? And literally within 10 minutes or so, I was like, hey, I'm not feeling well. I'm gonna call my mom. I'm gonna go home. And by God's grace in that moment, I escaped that. Mm. Um, but, but what was interesting, and one of the things you said is you didn't tell anyone, right? You didn't share this story in those early days with your parents. You didn't, you didn't um, you know, expose it, and I didn't either. There's a deep sense of uh, shame or, uh, I, I don't know what it is, but when you're afraid, it's e the enemy always wants you to cover it up. Okay. Just cover it up bury it and then the problem is if you bury that long enough it starts to eat you alive and it really affects you yeah you know part of your story is this story of fear you know that fear is a, a common tactic of the enemy to to prevent you from living this full life tell us a little bit about how fear has impacted you over time well, I've learned so much about fear. And Jimmy, I did write a lot about it in that book, Fully Alive. And actually, I'll tell you the book that came after that, it's called Prevail. And prevail means to prove more powerful than your opponent and to be the last one standing. And I went from Genesis to Revelation and looked for evidences and opportunities to flourish and to know how to stand, to be the last one standing, so to speak. But fear, you know, um, yeah. I feel like I was the poster child for insecurity and fear. And so I fought for the first, I don't know, six years of uh, my little one's lives with Lyme, and, and it was an army crawl for sure. Then I, you know, I got back involved in the fitness world and was an instructor and a trainer and different things. And um, I still lived with a chronic illness, so to speak. So I'd say five times a year, I couldn't get out of bed for a few days. And I had numbing of my face and neurological symptoms, but I just sort of did workarounds as often as I could and did what I could do to kind of fight back. And then seven years ago, I had a massive relapse, uh, and apparently people with chronic Lyme have a mold deficient gene, and I had, I had exposure to black mold that attacked my brain. So I had seven areas of my brain that were either atrophied or swollen, and as an author and a talk radio host, I'm on live, so you've gotta be sharp. My tongue was going numb. I, I was having cognitive issues where I couldn't pick the right word to go in the, my sentence. I, st I couldn't spell. I mean, it was terrifying, terrifying. And I remember uh, before I knew, I knew I was starting to have a flare up and a relapse, but I didn't know this. I had no idea the hell that I was about to walk through. And, um, and time out on just that, just for a moment. I remember when I was little, because it brings me to this moment, but I, I was trying to get my dad's attention. 
and I was probably four years old, and my dad was leaning over the counter, and he's staring out the window, and I'm like, Dad, Dad, and he would not look at me, and he's like, yes, honey, yes, honey. So I, I'm like, I could not get his attention, so I crawled up on the counter to look at what was so important, and my older brother was getting beat up by the neighborhood bully. And I'm like, I switched from asking for me to going, go help him, go help him. And he would not take his eyes off of him. And he says, I'm not going to let him lose, but I have to let him fight. And so here I am in the bathroom this day. I'm having flare-ups, neurological. I mean, my arms are numb. My, the room is spinning. My whole head is numb, bone-crushing headache. I'm like, no, God, no, God, please, 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 please. Not again, not again. And um, the Lord whispered, I'm not going to let you lose, but I have to let you fight. And he said, the storms wow. reveal the lies we believe and the truths we need. And I'm like, what? And that's the whole book, Fully Alive, is based on. The storms reveal the lies we believe and the truths we need. And I'm like, what lie do I believe? And then I heard it in my ear. I'm gonna, I can get you anytime, and anywhere, and God will never stop me. And he's like, Susie, this is not true. And yet you have believed it your whole life. It is not true that he can get to you anytime, anywhere. You have no idea what I've prevented in your life and how I've provided for you. I'm not gonna let you lose but I have to let you fight. And when I learned about uh, what was going on in my body, I had so much fear because I'm still fairly young enough to need my cognitive faculties, right? And my doctors who are believers, I have an amazing team of doctors, they're like, Susie, you, your inflammation is off the charts. We're gonna help you with that. But fear actually opens the door to a cascade of an inflammatory response in your body. Fear equals inflammation in your body. And how does disease grow? In fear. How does despair grow? In fear. I mean, it's the soil for anything and everything the enemy wants to do. And so this was before COVID. This was seven years ago where I'm like, D done already. And I did a deep study. I did brain science study on fear and the inflammatory response and went after it with more gusto than I ever have before and really immerse myself in scripture and as I said the brain science and what brings us to the present here Jimmy is that when you look at COVID it's an inflammatory virus as you well know and it's like yes. the enemy if he can't get you sick with the virus he's going to get you sick with fear and the enemy has had a landing strip to wield fear against yes. you know people made in God's image and what I just, God had given me so much training prior to this that I just knew this is one of those things for me on the air with my listeners and readers. I had to go after this because it's like, you're going to lose your wits if you don't have fear. You're going to walk in the flesh if you're dealing in fear. And when you yeah. think, is it 2 Timothy 1, 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and sound mind. Well, one of the translations of fear in that passage is cowardice. You know, cowardice or bracing for impact or shrinking back. God has not given us a spear, a spirit of being a coward or shrinking back and constantly bracing for impact. He's given us a spirit of power, love, and sound mind. And power, as you probably know, is the translation is dunamis, where we get dynamite. He's given us a spirit of dynamite, of supernatural, explosive power. Love in that translation is agape love. It's sacrificial Christ-like, lay your life down kind of love. And sound mind is just what it sounds like, moderation, self-control, wisdom for the hour. And when you look at where the world is at, they're operating in the flesh, not in power. They're operating in self-preservation and even hate, not love. They're operating in craziness, not sound mind. And I, it feels more important than ever that we have we contend with this fear yeah. so that we can walk in the power of God. We've got to do that. But as yeah. you know, 
you know, it has so infiltrated the body of Christ and people in who are professing Christians are operating in the flesh. And then the enemy just loves that because he turns, you know, yeah. turns the, our message against us. So it's so true. You know, Ivelisse is uh, doing a very deep dive study right now in, with respect to the spiritual roots of disease. Mm -hmm. And fear is, as you said, fear is an overwhelming component of everything. It is. Right. Yep. And it's it is a strategic uh, weapon that the enemy uses, mm -hmm. because if he can get you afraid, then he can dismantle your life. And I, I keep going back to Romans 12, you know, it talks about uh, one and two is uh, don't be conformed any longer to the way the world does things. Don't do things the way everybody else does, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? Because everything starts with your thinking. If, if, you, if that thought of fear, that fearful thought is planted, it, it links immediately to your emotions. In fact, we know now that your thoughts and emotions can literally make you sick, Yep. right? So mm -hmm. that's where that initial battle is won when you feel afraid. Sometimes there's appropriate fear, right? I mean, if, if there's impending doom coming, you can see it coming, you should react to that. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> a bus is headed for you as you're crossing the street. Hey, you should react and get out of the way. That's a beautiful gift of God. But most of the fear today is not based on fact. Right. It's based on an ex, a negative expectation about what's going to happen. And then once that thought happens, it gets tied to emotion. It flares up that emotion of hopelessness or helplessness or, you know, that you're less than or whatever that shame point is. Whatever it is, it's tied to that emotion, which makes you sick. And I'm just struck by um, the fact that God doesn't want us to live in fear. Yeah. And, that you know, I think when you battled, uh, sorry, I was going to say, when you battled fear, and the enemy, he's such a legalist. If he can find a way in, he will find a way in. And what I realized and is that how he would take the hard things that have happened in your past and help you reason, well, if God allowed that, then he projects a worst case scenario into your future and tries to get you to imagine a future that God's not in. And I remember one day the Lord just spoke to my heart, Susie, the enemy is a horrible counselor. Do you honestly think I would give you a heads up on what's gonna happen in the future through him? And he's trying to get you to imagine a future that I'm not in and no such future exists. And, you know, if we can think of fear equals inflammation, you know, one of my doctors, he's a functional med doc, and he talked about way prior to COVID, he's like, if you can keep inflammation down, your body can absorb the jarring, you know, impact of a crisis that happens. And he gave the example of uh, this uh, 50, 45, 50 year old guy who was living on big gulps and danishes, you know, that's his diet. And he had a minor rear end accident. Somebody rear ended his car, I mean minor, and it threw his whole body and all the systems into disarray. And he just got messed up because he was living so at the edges of an inflammatory response constantly and getting away with it and thinking it was of no consequence. And he goes, but then around that same time, he had an 80 year old couple that he's been working with who eat healthy, who keep the inflammation down, who were T-boned and they walked away from that accident uh, unscathed. And he's like the same thing with football players. You got the, the ones who have the CTE. He said, if you look back, he said a lot of times they're drinking a lot, partying a lot, and they're not keeping their regular inflammation down. And I feel like, you know, as you say, there's an appropriate response to fear. Um, and yet if we're living and taking up, living an inflammatory life, when the mm -hmm. true uh, jarring crises happen, 
uh, we don't have much bandwidth for it because we're going to be yeah. knocked completely out of whack. And I honestly think, Jimmy, that is what has happened when COVID hit. I think the body of Christ was kind of maybe living on borrowed time in some ways and not sending their roots down into God's love, not dealing with the stuff they've been shoving into the basement. And so they yeah. were maybe numbing a lot and uh, to the point where the crisis happened and it threw a lot of people in disarray. You know, one of the things that I think really strikes a chord, right, is that during this crisis of COVID, with a lot of unknowns, right, and as you said, I think part of the problem is we weren't prepared. And I wrote down a couple of words that you, that you made me think of. One was margin, um, that if you don't have margin in your life, you're not able to weather the storms, the things that would normally overwhelm you. If you have positive margin, you're able to handle those things. But if you're all the way to the edge, that you're, you know, at capacity, one more thing gets added to that and the whole thing falls apart. And I feel like that is part of what happened during the earliest days and, and also as COVID continued to kind of wear on, don't you think? Very, very much. And, and, and it's, you know, God is so gracious and so kind uh, and his mercies are new every morning. That is an amazing thing to me. I do think this crisis was a major wake up call for us as God's people, because, you know, we tend to shift our weight onto things that aren't Christ and it, and they hold for a season. So we think we're okay. But, you know, as scripture talks about, you know, things are being shaken so that which cannot be shaken can be clearly seen. And, and so we can really thank God amidst the crisis to say, Lord, uh, thank you that there's breath in my lungs. Thank you that there's mercy at my doorstep every morning. Now help me to be about the Father's business. And, and I want to say that includes your calling. That includes your time with God. That includes, I would say, belly laughter with people that you love. We've got to keep our wits about us and know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. But this is a time to get focused too, that we that God has a really specific call in each of our lives and that we would discern it and be about it for sure. And I think one of the elements of that, which you've been committed to for many, many years, probably your entire life in Christ, is is prayer, yeah. right? One of, the, one of the weapons that we have, one of the things that makes us ready is prayer. Give us a couple of examples of some answers to prayer that you've had. You know, prayer is such a powerful thing. And I think because I felt like the weakest of all, the most insecure of all, but I learned the secret of that when I cry, my cry reaches his ears. I mean, I, th I would say one of my life scripts is Psalm 18, because if you look at the progression of that chapter, it's so amazing because it's like the ropes of death wrapped their cords around me. And I would, the enemy confronted me at a day when I was weakest, when he was too powerful for me, for, for me. So I cried out to the Lord and my cry reached his ears. He reached down from on high and what I love about that is it says that the smoke and the clouds veiled his approach so it's like we didn't see him coming but neither did the enemy and God broke through reached down from on high he put me in a safe place put a new song in my mouth and then if you read the rest of the passage he turns me into a warrior and it's like you go from victim to victor because he trains your hands for battle he shows you how to scale a wall he gets your feet on high places which to me speaks of spiritual agility and so as I started to enter into prayer and get a vision for what is possible by the Spirit of God, I became an audacious prayer. And so in my early years, 
uh, I was, again, pretty new in the faith. And I went, uh, so Luke, my middle son, I was on bed rest for three months with him. And when he was about 15 months old, we almost lost him to a respiratory virus. So his little chest was like almost breaking with every breath. It was terrifying. Once we got him home, I found out I was pregnant with Jordan, number three, was on bed rest for six months of that pregnancy. So we had Jeez. some crises in those early months and early years. Well, as I told you, I contracted Lyme disease and didn't know it. So I was starting to have neurological trouble. And at that point I was thinking MS, brain tumor, it was kind of terrifying. And um, at, when Jojo was born, RSV was an epidemic. And so the doctor said, keep these separate. You know, Luke's lungs are, it's only been 10 months since he was so sick. So don't let anybody visit you that's sick. And long story short, someone brought their sick child and Luke was, you know, breathing like that. And they said, we could admit him, but let's just keep him at home and we'll just keep a close eye. We had a little split entry. Luke was down in his little uh, playpen with a steamer and a blanket. And I learned how to do bronchial drainage. So it would drain his lungs, disinfect my hands, change my shirt and nurse the baby. And I was literally only sleeping two hours a night. And if you want to give a disease a, a landing strip, don't sleep. But it was just like trying to keep these yeah. two separate. Well, I did that for almost four weeks. and. Uh, Jordan ended up um, coughing and a little rattly cough. He was four weeks old and people, babies were dying from RSV at that time. And, and God had seemed so silent. The heavens were silent. And I, did, I was still new enough in my faith at that point that I didn't know if he lost my address or, you know, if I had chased him away. I, I just was so, but I invited our life group over and they worshiped and, and prayed and laid hands on him. And I felt the presence of God. And I'm like, we are on the cusp of a miracle. And the next morning, his little lips were blue and uh, he was worse. And uh, we admitted him in the hospital, two doors down from where Lukey was uh, 10 months prior. And Kev went to call family and I sat down and little Jordan was in his tent with the tubes everywhere. And all of a sudden in my exhaustion and my facial numbing, joy just filled my spirit, like supernatural, like a bucket of joy. And I thought, okay, I'm either losing my mind or God is doing something amazing here. And uh, I wrote that in my journal. And it was probably a year later when we found out I had Lyme disease, Jordan, the nurse, home health care nurse was at our house setting me up on my IV and filling our fridge with IV bags. Jojo runs in in his little diaper, one years old, and she's like, what's he doing alive? I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, I cared for two other women who were a bit during their pregnancy around the same time, went a year undiagnosed, much like you. Both babies went blind and died. She's oh like, gosh. why is he alive? Did, was he sick when he was little? And I said, yeah, he was in the hospital for a week. What did they use in the IV? Well, they treated him for Lyme before I ever knew I had it. And so God's no, he oh, gave yeah. me a small no so he could give me a big yes. And that one, Jimmy, was just like, I literally went to my knees right in front of her and just wept. And I just thought, oh, God, you know, your ways are higher than our ways. We can't mm -hmm. even fathom. And it's he's such a good father. Um, another time, my hubby was a, mm -hmm. a, a workaholic and he's very capable and he's a get or done guy. But he, you know, when the crisis settled down, he didn't slow down and he was just all work and it was affecting us. And I went to the mat like a wild woman. I'm like, this is, you know, this is not working. And I know you have better for him. God in heaven, do what you need to do. And I pray in Jesus name that you would open a door for him to work somewhere uh, where that, you know, corresponds with your plan for us as a family. And uh, actually I will tell you, he got cancer 
before I prayed this, he got cancer and I really do think, felt like it was from overwork and the stress, but he, once he got out of that battle, that's when I went to the mat and started to pray mm -hmm. for a new job. And he just, he's a con commercial construction project manager. And he's like, there's only several companies in the state that do jobs at the size of job I do. And, and he was yeah. explaining how the, why the doors would never open there. And I'm like, <laughs> watch me and I I prayed morning noon and night because I knew in my knower that I was on solid biblical ground to pray this I knew it and in due time God opened the door for him to work at the company he's at now and it literally changed our lives and I will tell you as we watched God just transform Kev's heart of dependence we are together managing five times what we were managing back when he was striving in his own strength because we're together and he always says his dependence on God is his superpower. And so that was like a radical life transformation. And then just one more, and I don't know, I won't get into the story too deep, but you know this, I think my son Jordan at 17 years old took a late hit in football, suffered a serious back injury that could have left him partially disabled. At 17 years old, the doctor said he would probably lose control of his bowels and because uh, the nerve compression was so bad. and maybe if you search you can find me telling the story on other uh, platforms but god miraculously healed him medical miracle mm -hmm. he was healed so all that to say i don't understand the mystery i mean of course i'm still dealing with some some neurological issues every day and uh mm -hmm. but i'm better for the fight jimmy and i've seen too much and i know too much to know that i'm not going to stop praying because our prayers shake heaven and earth yeah, yeah. i love it because uh, it goes back to your earlier statement. I'm not going to let him lose, but I have to let him fight. That's right. There, there is a piece of life <clears throat> where we don't understand the outcomes, right? The outcomes don't always go our way. And that's no. it's one of the uh, one of the interesting things about our relationship with God. It makes sense. It can be frustrating at times. I remember when Ivelisse was diagnosed with cancer and she's told her story many, many times. Um, we, we actually went with some friends down to Florida for a very good friend of mine, uh, our, actually our closest friends, uh, and we had a prayer, a prayer time there with their family. There were a whole lot of people. It was, it was there for his 40th birthday, and the group gathered around Ivelisse and began to pray, and we laid hands on her. And, um, and during that prayer time, there was guided discovery by one of the people in the room that really helped her to dig deep about maybe some unforgiveness or maybe some fear in her life or maybe some things in her that were unresolved and as god brought those to light uh he released her set her free there was this this beautiful freedom and we all kind of exited that prayer time believing that god had just done something miraculous that we believe she was healed now over the next coming weeks uh her cancer actually changed and progressed and spread to i think it was in the liver at that time so it really created this time of questioning like well is she healed was she healed and but we we got to by faith continue to walk in the belief that nothing was impossible for god and we got to see him heal her over time and i think sometimes we think that god needs to do things right now on our right. timeline and uh and if he doesn't then he's not good anymore but the truth is there's something to be learned along that uh, that pathway that we won't learn unless we're in the situation for a period of time. Have you experienced that? Oh, I can't, I'm so grateful you said that. Cause I, I mean, I, I speak to, uh, to this often that A plus B doesn't always equal C. And I think we do so much harm to those who are suffering 
to treat them as if they've missed a step or I've missed a step. Yeah. I've named it, claimed it, prayed it, fasted. I've done everything I know. And I remember years ago begging God to heal me because I had three little boys to care for. And the Lord whispered to my heart, I could heal you today, but you'd lose it tomorrow. And I'm like, why? And he said, because you don't have the infrastructure for healing. Mm. You think like a sick person. And that, and that was just true. And so I started to thank God for the parts of my body, my systems that work, you know, and, mm. and I really have spent the last 20 something years really contending in a way that I am better for this fight, Jimmy. If I would have been zapped, wow. I still would have been as dysfunctional and fearful <laughs> and insecure as I was back then. And the right. other hard thing is I know godly people who prayed for healing, got sick and died, and they weren't missing yes. a step. And I, I think it's a cruel theology. I mean, I remember we have a friend yes. in media whose daughter died of cancer and someone had the audacity to say, she'd still be alive if you had more faith. And I'm like, yeah. You can't do that to people. So here's my statement around that. If when you encounter someone who's suffering, you feel impatience or judgment, you're dealing in formulas and not in faith because Jesus yeah. always led with compassion. So yes, I will say there is a mystery. And I think we have to get comfortable with mystery if we're gonna pray audacious prayers. But scripture does say the prayer of the righteous accomplishes great and powerful things. But we can't live as if this life is all there is. Life is short. <laughs> Eternity is long and how we contend here, there's so much we're not gonna know till we get there. But are we gonna lean into faith? Are we gonna stand on his promises? Or are we gonna brace for impact because yep. we don't understand the mystery part of God? You know, if he could be explained, mm -hmm. would we really wanna follow him? I mean, he's He's right. God and we are not. But right. I will and tell I love... you. Yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I'm better for the fight. I know God's word more. I know the enemy's schemes better. And I know I know God. And so I feel like it's not been wasted on me. I'll just tell you that. But I, I feel protective of those who suffer because I have, I mean, I had someone say to me, you're a leader at your level and you're still not healed. Where's your faith? Mm -hmm. And it's like, Jesus didn't say you need more faith. He said, you just need a mustard seed. So I'm just like, mm -hmm. find where your faith is. If you have the spirit of yeah. God in you, you've got some kind of faith. So find it and yeah. stand there. And I, if you're faithful yeah. there, God will grow your faith. And, and I, I'm, I'm continuing to contend for the healing and the redemption of many stories, not just mine. That's right. You know, the power is not in your formula. Yeah. It's in God. Yeah. It's, Amen. In, it's in the power of God. Amen. And I was thinking during our process, when Ivelisse was going through her cancer, um, journey, if you will, we came to a place where we said, you know, we're going to trust God no matter how this ends. And because we realized that we're, first of all, we're not going to live forever in the flesh. We will, there is going to be an expiration date of sorts. And however, there doesn't have to be a spiritual end point, right? That we can live forever. And that's the beauty of by grace through faith in Christ, that we can be alive forever, that we can live forever. And the greatest healing ultimately is that, isn't it? It's like, do I want do I want a guarantee of a temporary healing or do I want the greater healing? Mm -hmm. And sometimes we get so caught up in this life and the, the challenges we face, the chaos of this life, uh, our circumstances that aren't going the way we want them to go and we, we lose sight of the eternal, we lose sight of the bigger picture. And I think that's part of why the church is so powerful, right? I think, um, I think the church, the message of truth from the church, the deep roots that we can get by faith are so important. You know, tell, let's, let's pivot a little bit. Let's talk about the church. Um, you know, what are some of the things that, that concern you most or grieve you most about the church in the West today? 
Well, I'm going to use alliteration because I love alliteration, but I'll tell you three things, division, departure, and disengagement. So I'll start mm. with division. Uh, you know, I have a gal that I was mentoring for a while uh, told me this story, and this just is, to me, illustrates what's happening in the, in the church today. But she was at a writer's conference, and there was a panel of... Um, you know, authors who were on faculty, and there was other faculty that were in the in the crowd of this classroom. And the one one of the faculty members in the crowd asked a baiting question. This was during the the uh, the first Trump election. She yeah. asked a baiting question because she was clearly super anti-Trump and just was trying to bait the gal. And so the other gal just spoke her mind. Well, and before you knew it, these two stood up. The chair, I think, flipped back, and they were yelling at each other. So the gal that I was mentoring, there was an all-out, I mean, they didn't get physical, but they were literally faculty members, leaders, screaming at each other. And she mm. said she had to get out of there. She was about to have a panic attack. Wow. And I thought, you know, uh, younger believers and those who are maybe weak in the faith, who are in crisis, are looking to leaders to model you know, dignity and humility and authority and humble, holy confidence. And this, you know, there's so much division, Jimmy. And I know, I mean, yeah. you and I and, and your dear wife, we've talked about this. And I, it absolutely grieves my heart. And I think uh, there's some of these things that we're dividing over that in heaven aren't going to even matter. But we're making big things, small things, and we're making small things, big things. So that's one of the things, you know, even the denominational division, you know, Kevin, I cross denominational lines for when I speak, and I'm so grateful that I can do that, but it is amazing where if one denomination hears I'm speaking for another denomination, there have been times where they're like, if you're going to do that, we don't want you to come here. I mean, I'm no plenty way. busy. Yeah, that's happened, and I, I'm plenty busy. I'm not looking for more to do, but it, it grieves my heart because these are biblical denominations. There's not, you know, there, you know what I'm saying? So that, yeah. that division is so grievous to me. But then there is the departure. We talked about this mm -hmm. off the air, but I think you recorded a little bit of it, where there is a, a departure to kind of a, a, a mentality where the inerrancy of, the, of Scripture is up for grabs. It's like, talk about kicking the legs out from under the gospel if the word is only mostly true or it's just a good story, right? Mm -hmm. and, or hell is not a reality or sin is offensive to talk about. And these are, to me, the infrastructure, you know, the Trinity is up for grabs. That If, you, if those are the kind of things that are up for mm -hmm. grabs, it's not biblical Christianity anymore, but it's so confusing to so many because many people aren't reading scripture. So there's a false sense of security. And I do think that's why it's so haunting that Jesus you know, talked about many will come to him and think they did something in his name. And he's like, mm. I didn't know you. And because uh, yeah. we follow him on his terms, not on ours. So that's grievous to me. Mm. And then the disengagement. Um, there's just this sense of, uh, and I, I do feel like what has happened in the last two years is surprisingly engaging some that you may not even expect, you know, and revealing maybe what's in others. Um, but there has been prior to COVID a significant disengagement. I will say what I'm hearing from pastors is that many people still are not coming back to church. So there still is that sense of, uh, of disengagement. So that's super grievous yeah. to me. Um, you know, like I'll hear pastors say, well, I see pictures of them and they're in gatherings, they're going places, they're just not at church and they're using it as an excuse. And that's, that's super unfortunate. So those are grievous to me. What excites me, one of the things I pray constantly is, you know, raise up leaders to push back the darkness, evangelists to bring in the harvest and intercessors to move the mountains. And I am seeing that. 
And, I, and you know, I always say heaven knows who's who in the zoo. You know, heaven <laughs> knows who's who in the zoo. He knows who's who and what's what. And he's raising up people. And the call is from heaven right now. Rise up, O people of faith. And some are responding to the call. And I think what gets me out of bed every day, Jimmy, is there's a day of account for everybody. There's a day of account for unbelievers, but there's a day of account for us as well. So this could be our finest hour. There are people like you who are rising up and, and being counted. And so on one hand, I'm grieved over these three Ds that I talked about, but I'm excited because some are responding and God is moving and lives are being saved. So, you know, amazing. The, the kingdom is moving, that's for sure. Yeah, and sometimes I feel like, and I've said this, and, and not everyone agree, <laughs> agrees with me, but I say, there's never been a, a better time to be alive than right now. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm sure, you know, you could kind of say that no matter when you've lived, right? If you were lived 50 years ago, 100 years ago, you could probably say that. But, but I think a mind, your mindset matters, right? That if we live right now with a sense of dread and, and a small living, small thinking, small living, uh, then we're going to miss out on what God's trying to do. And it's funny, your words are almost the same as mine. Um, I use disengage, by the way, that it is a concern of mine, this disengagement, this conformity to the culture that we're just kind of going along and getting along. And, uh, and we're in some ways complacent. So when you say, hey, it's time for people to stand up and to walk in their calling, walk for the cause, the cause of Christ, I really do believe that there is a revival among us. That I do. We're, you know, they keep talking about the Great Reset, which is a whole nother topic, and it, it certainly is concerning in some ways. But I think we're in the middle of not the, just the Great Reset. I think we're in the middle of the Great Revival, the Great Awakening. And my word for the year is rattle. It comes out of Ezekiel 37, and Ezekiel 37 is when uh, Ezekiel's prophesying to the dry bones, the dead bones. Um, when those asleep are coming back to life, you know, they're dead. And, and the Spirit of the Lord says, hey, well, prophesy to them, breathe the breath of new life, encourage them, um, bring the Holy Spirit into this, and then boom, they are uh, raised up into a vast army. And I think that for me has been super encouraging. I believe I'm called this year to, um, to encourage people to come to life, to be reawakened, to wake up the warriors, if you will. Okay, so hey, let's do this. You know, you've been in radio for a long, long time. You've done this for almost 16 years. What stands out to you when you consider all of the guests you've interviewed over the years? Well, there's a number of things. Uh, humility is a mm. profound and amazing virtue. And when you fear God, you need fear nothing else. And when I see people who are, who are going the distance, there's a holy confidence and a humble dependence. They're so profoundly dependent on the Lord and they're confident in him as well. And mm -hmm. what's, what's really just, uh, again, shakes me to my core is I've been in that, been in the you know, industry long enough where I've seen certain leaders rise and then fall. And when I connect with them later, they'll say things like, I started to believe my own press mm -hmm. or my work for God upstaged my walk with God. And so, wow. you know, what stands out to me most, Jimmy, is, and I've thought this and believe this forever since I've been a believer is, our walk with God is the most important thing about us. Mm -hmm. Our intimacy with God, you know, Jesus said, apart from me, 
You can do nothing. I've appointed you to bear fruit that outlasts you. And I think walking intimately with God, enjoying fellowship with Jesus, you know, fearing and honoring him above all else equips us to bear fruit that's disproportionate to who we are. And it, it is just interesting to me where I'll, I'll have, I'll talk with authors and once they start to get a little more successful, which I hate even that phrase in the yeah. kingdom, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Or some you see, it just goes to their head. Where others, they just stay so humble and grounded because they know in whom uh, they've hoped. And so that's what really stands out to me is just walking intimately with God, doing what he says and trusting the rest of it to him. It's cool. I know one of your, I'm pretty sure one of your guests was John Eldridge. And he's a guy that I've really been blessed by his writings over many, many years and also his apps and devotions. And uh, he's got a new app out called Pause, which has been just amazingly impactful for me where it, where I'm reminded on my phone to pause and then he kind of does this guided prayer with mm. some with some music behind it's just amazing awesome. and there's so many of those but he's one of those guys to me that has this incredible strength this courageous spirit and at the same time he's got this amazing humility as well don't you think Oh, I love him. I think if I remember right he's endorsed one of my books. I think he wrote the forward for one of my books too, but he's mm. he is exactly what I'm talking about, Jimmy. And one of the things he said on one of my shows years ago was, one day your story will be told correctly. Mm -hmm. And I love that so much because I think the other thing that, as I were talking here, that I think is so good for us to address is the fear of man. If you fear man, you, you won't fear God. And if you're in bondage to others' opinions, especially in this cancel culture, you'll never get anything done. So I think if we can be content to be misunderstood, you know, as long as we're honoring God and fearing him, one day, as First Peter talks about, there's going to be a glorious unveiling, a glorious revealing when God, all of the earth, all of creation groans for that day when God reveals who his children really are. And we are going to glory with him and the whole world will be set straight. You know, he's mine, she's mine, and our stories will be told correctly. So if we can endure trouble for a little while like the disciples did and stay faithful, we'll be amazed at what God does with our offering. I love that. And, you know, a long time ago, God told me that uh, kind of impressed upon my heart that when challenges come, when there's opposition, that's not an opportunity to say, hey, I'm, I'm out. It mu it's a sign that I shouldn't be engaged in this. Oftentimes that opposition, that challenge is a message to to stay in it, that you're in the right place, that you can. Um, God's going to teach you resilience. He's going to meet your needs, even in your weakest moments. Uh, he shows himself strong in those moments. Sometimes we want to run or escape from the challenge. We want to be removed from the circumstances that are most challenging. And instead, God's saying, no, no, no I'm, I'm strengthening you. I'm going to use these circumstances to make you into the person you're made to be. Have you experienced that in your life? Oh, 100%. And, you know, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not God. <laughs> you right. know, when we are in the hard stuff, it's the stuff that he uses to train us. You know, again, go to Psalm 18. He trains my hands for battle so that mm -hmm. I can bend a bow of bronze, that I can scale a wall, that I can walk on high places. That doesn't just happen automatically. That mm -hmm. comes from sparring practice, you know, mm -hmm. having to really navigate our trials. But uh, he knows what he's doing. And uh, the enemy does not have all full access to us. There is, even though I don't love it when you're in crisis and someone says, God won't give you more than you can handle. That's not my favorite thing to hear. <laughs> but I will say, I do, and I do believe though, that God turns everything. There is a, a limit to what mm -hmm. he allows the enemy to do in our lives. And I feel like it's enough 
to transform us and restore us and redeem us yes. so that we can, when it's all said and done, we're the ones who are still standing. You know, the devil knows his time okay. is short. And, uh, and uh, in the end, we're going to be the ones on the winning side. So good. You know, and I, I think a lot of people have been discouraged over the last couple of years. I think there's been a lot of reasons for people to feel that emotion and to feel that heaviness. But I know a little over two years ago, you, you were in a spot of discouragement, but you had a vivid dream. Tell us a little bit about that dream. So I was watching the news. This was uh, about a little over two years ago, and I had come under it where just the corruption, the unchecked mm -hmm. corruption and misuse of power. I was just like, I couldn't believe it. You know what people were getting away with. And that's not new to our day. I mean, look through Psalms. How long will the wicked prosper God? And I, I, because I feel things deeply and I am an intercessor at heart, for some reason I was carrying that so heavy to me that I couldn't get out from underneath it. I couldn't see how a way through, which is, you know, I mean, really, I, I was just feeling it deeply. And I don't sleep super well. So one of the things Kevin and I started asking years ago is, you know, take this place and space where the enemy has robbed me so many times and give us vivid dreams and speak mm -hmm. to us. Because scripture says, even at night, my heart instructs me. And I actually had two really significant dreams. The one that I had that you're referring to, I went to bed discouraged in my dream. I'm standing in this, it was about the size of a football field of rubble, and they were big chunks of building that were halls of power, clearly like infrastructures of power. And I'm up to my knees, and the sun is on my face, and off to my left was this holy city that I could tell could not be shaken. And the look on my face was utter awe. I wish the video was working right now because I was like, no way, like I was in awe, like that did not just happen. And in my dream, I see myself in the rubble up to my knees, but I'm also seeing myself like from a sky view. And every 20 feet behind me, another person was standing in the rubble with that same look on their face. And I knew in my dream, Jimmy, that that was corruption and wow. that these were the prayers of the saints. These were the intercessors. And my Bible, I'm opening up my Bible here, was open to Psalm 46. And then I stumbled over to... Um, Isaiah 25, and you just got to hear these if it's okay. Do I have time to read? Yes, absolutely. Okay, picture now. I mean, what I woke up, I know this was from the Lord because I woke up with fire in my bones. I, it wasn't, mm. no, there was no bootstrap faith. I had fire in my bones. I'm like, God hears every prayer. He sees every deed and a day is coming when he's going to dismantle infrastructures of corruption. Mm -hmm. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. So knowing that and giving that picture in your mind, I want you to just hear this. First, uh, Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble and the waters surge. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city and it cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. Listen to this. The nations are in chaos and their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The Lord God of Israel is our fortress. Come see the glorious works of the Lord, how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow, snaps the spear, burns the shield with fire. Then he says, be still and know that I am God. 
I will be honored by every nation. I'll be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. And we so often hear, be still with nice music and a nice, you know, by the seas picture. But this is God's voice thundering over the chaos and saying, mm. there is a day where he's going to bring an end. And then if you could just hear Psalm 20, or Isaiah 25, mm. this blew my mind. Oh, Lord, I'll honor you and praise your name for you are my God. You do such wonderful things. You planned them long ago, and now you've accomplished them. Listen, you turn mighty cities into heaps of ruins. Cities with strong walls are turned to rubble. Beautiful palaces in distant lands disappear, will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong nations will declare your glory. Ruthless nations will fear you, for you are a tower of refuge to the poor, O Lord, a tower of refuge to the needy in distress. You are a refuge from the storm and a shelter from the heat. Listen to this. For the oppressive acts of ruthless people are like storms beating against a wall or like the relentless heat of the desert. But you silence the roar of the nations. And then he goes on and it says how he swallows up death forever. And it says in Jerusalem, the Lord prepares a wonderful feast for his people. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. There he will remove the cloud of doom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He'll remove forever the insults and the mockery against his land and his people. The Lord has spoken. And in that day, we will proclaim, this is our God. We trusted him and he saved us. This is the Lord in whom we've trusted. Let us rejoice in the salvation he brings. And it goes on, just talks about bringing the structures down to rubble and God's people standing in awe. Now, I know that's a mouthful, Jimmy, but I'm just saying there is a day coming when God will reveal who his children are, what's true, and he will make all the wrongs right, and we will be in awe. And so we're going to wish we trusted him, so I say let's trust him because he's faithful. Yes. yes, and I think that gives us a lot of hope, doesn't it? I mean, even yeah. in, the, in the midst of the chaos, that God is not uh, asleep. He is, he is actively engaged. And it, for me, it, put, it makes me put my faith in God and not man. And I think that's a super hopeful message to leave our, our audience with for sure. Amen, Jimmy. Well, thank you for all that you do. If we can, you know, continue to pray that God would raise up more leaders like you to push back and stand, because there's some that are very much called to those front lines. And then evangelists to bring in the harvest, because people who are searching, uh, they need, who, who, how will they know if someone doesn't tell them? We need evangelists to bring in the harvest. And then we need intercessors to pray down these mountains so that God can be lifted up and his kingdom can come. And and I, I mean, we are in a day that's very important where it's all hands on deck. So may we each yes. rise up and take our stand. Well, we're super grateful. Thank you so much for the encouragement today. Thanks for doing what you're doing to, um, to promote restoration, restoration for souls, freedom in Christ, to be fully alive, fulfilling your potential. Susie, it's been an honor and a blessing. Appreciate well, you so much. Appreciate you and Evelie so much. Thank you for having me. Okay. God bless you. Thank you. Oh,